0: Well, it is great to be back here again in Torrington, Connecticut, and uh, it, it feels weird without my in-laws sitting there in, in the pew. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's like anyone who's ever lost a lost a arm or you know you lost an appendage. It's like they, it, it never grows back, right? I'm just teasing. Arms will always grow back. Okay, never mind. We should just pray and get into the word of God, right? Let's just do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time that you've given to us. And it is time that you have created for us and you organized for us and you arranged for us. And so we have confidence and, and thanks and hope and trust in you for it. Lord, as we take this time now as we open up your word, may we get comfort from it. May we become bold witnesses of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms chapter 119. We're going to go through the whole chapter, and I'm hoping to be done by Christmas. Um, Psalm 119. I mean, how many of you honestly... You've been on an emotional roller coaster the last couple weeks. Okay, I'm 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 right there with you. You know, because it's it's like ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, and eventually you turn off the news and you feel so much better. And uh, then you go onto Facebook and it's up and down and up and down and Twitter's up and down and up and down and uh, you know, the word of God never changes. All right, the world around us isn't an upheaval. Everything can be up in the air. The word of God stays the same. And this is what we preach. No matter where we go around the world, no matter what culture we find ourselves in, whether it's New England culture, Alaskan culture, Texan culture. Hey, I was in Texas recently. We had a a skeet shoot. I was so afraid. I'm going to go up against a bunch of Texans in a skeet shoot. I placed fifth. Now, now I got beaten by four Africans. So there were Africans over there that beat out the Texans, and and uh, that was fun to watch. <laughs> fun to say, hey, I'm going, I'm going over to Africa with these guys. <laughs> they know how to shoot. Texans didn't like that, <laughs> but it was fun. Um, no matter where you go, though, you can still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible, uh, the, the Bible isn't necessarily cross cultural. It is extracultural. It's outside of culture. It's a propositional truth that stands no matter where you go. So when we look at the Bible, we look at the gospel, we need to have confidence. We have to have comfort because the world around us changes all the time. And just, just keep coming back. Just rest your soul upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And no matter how those waves beat, he'll see you through. That's it. So Psalms 119, look at me in in verse uh, 73. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. uh, scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar either. Um, So I'm guessing this is their letter Yod or Jod. I don't know how to pronounce that. You you can ask pastor when he comes back. Um, But we're going to look at this little section here, and I'm hoping to be an encouragement to you this evening Verse number 73, the Bible says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they have dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. So I want to ask, and propose to you this evening, what is your position supposed to be in your society where you are? Here in Connecticut. What is your position? Why has God put you here now? We have to understand very firstly from, the, from verse 73, he says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. We are created beings. We were created by God himself in his image. We are, we are to carry out his work and his purposes in our life. We are created beings. You know what that also means? We're not the ones in control. Let me put it this way. How many of you are control freaks? You know, it's like we all have to, we all have a desire in of ourselves to want to control things, don't we? We all want to have a hand in our own fate and our own destiny. You know, I, I've been reading a lot of books recently and some of the different soldier books and such, and men that go off to war, honestly, they hate war. The only people who, who like war are those that have never been there or who have never experienced war. But those that go over there, they, they absolutely detest the thought that at any moment they can lose their life of no control or fault of their own. Faulty machinery, faulty equipment, things jam, things break, they get ambushed. There's so many things that you have no control over. And this is a great mental stress to them. And, And even to us today, here, it's like, man, I'm not in control of things. Like I already said, it's a roller coaster out there. Things are up in the air. I can't control it. I can't stop it. I can't change it. But I know who can. You know, I was reminded of a a story of a one or two women that were riding in an airplane, and they hit a field turbulence. And one of them began it began to shake, and the one got real scared. Looked over at the other one, who's just sitting there smiling. And how can you be so calm? I can't fly this plane. We can't control the situations we find ourselves in but we can't control how we handle ourselves in those situations. It says, I am created by God. And he says, give me understanding that I might learn thy commandments. See, we are supposed to go and to look for understanding. We are supposed to go and seek after God for these things because his commandments will teach us how we need to act and what we are supposed to do in the situations we find ourselves in life. I have some stuff here from um, in Acts chapter 17, Paul on Mars Hill, verse 24 and onward where he, he begins to preach up there and he says how that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is God of heaven and earth and does not uh, dwell in temples made with human hands, neither is, neither is um, served as though he needed anything, seeth how he give to all life and breath and all things and hath made of all nations one blood for to dwell upon the face of the whole earth, and hath before appointed the times and bounds of their habitation. And how Paul from Mars Hill, he's telling these, these Grecians, he says, hey, God is the one who controlled where you are, when you are, and who you are. He controlled all those things. He didn't just make you, he fashioned you, he designed all these things for you. In Ephesians chapter uh, for the Lord speaks about those who he foreknew would trust in Christ. Them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, is that Calvinism? That's not Calvinism. Calvinism would be for whom he did predestine, he foreknew. The Bible says for who he foreknew, he predestined. He arranged those things because of his foreknowledge, not because he forced those things to happen. All right? And Spurgeon said it this way. He says, In both giving your existence and in arranging your existence, the Lord has showed wisdom and love. We as his creation find hope. That find hope is trust. Trust of him in our being and in our well-being. The psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we were in Africa back in 2013, and we came across Pierre there in in Libreville, and he's deaf, and he became deaf later in life, and he kept telling everyone, no, I'm sick, I'm going to get better. I'm just, I'm going to get better. No, he, he was deaf, and there was no getting better. And he had to come to a point where he realized God brought this situation into his life And now he needs to surrender his will to God and allow God to use him even though he became deaf. You see, we have situations that come into our life that alter our plans drastically. And yet we can have confidence in God, not just because he made you, but in the fact that he is in control of these situations. In your well-being, you can have faith that God is gonna take care of you. It doesn't matter whether you have cancer next week. It doesn't matter if you lose a child. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. It matters to you, and it, obviously it matters to God. But as far as his care and his love and his faithfulness to you, that never changes. It doesn't matter who becomes president. His care for you will remain constant throughout all of life's troubles. And as we continue on, therefore, we are to be holy and righteous, but we are not in charge. God is still on his throne. And I, I loved hearing some of the preachers, you know, just encouraging people. He says, Look, God doesn't lose the house, God can't lose the Senate. He doesn't need to cheat in an election. He's on the throne. He's always been on the throne. And next year, he's still going to be on the throne. You can't overthrow God. So anyone else who comes up and says, oh, I'm in charge now. Well, Romans chapter 13 says that God puts people into positions of power and authority. But just like Nebuchadnezzar, he can make them, he can have them sit on a throne one day and eating grass out in the field the next. He is ultimately in control. It doesn't matter what these people may say or think. He is in control, and we need to be more concerned about what God wants rather than what might appease a large group of people in an election. Elections are over, you know, whatever. Nothing I can do about it. We need to be holy and righteous, and we need to be gracious. We need to be people who are gracious, people who are kind, people who are loving. Spurgeon also said this a man without a mind is an idiot. Now how many? We should just take an altar call right there, right? Pray, have an altar call, Lord. Okay. A man without a mind, he's the mere mockery of a man, and a man without grace is wicked, the perversion of the mind. And we ought to pray that we be not a people without spiritual judgment and understanding. You say, is that really a thing? Can we we really lose our spiritual judgment? Absolutely we can. You can lose the discernment that God has given to you if you're not grounded and staying in his wall, in his precepts, in his statutes. If his laws are not your delight, you can lead others astray as blind leading the blind. You know, because we live in a world right now. We live especially in this culture. How many of you heard of this culture war? How many of you honestly have no idea what that even means? Okay. Yeah, see, they're throwing these words out, and I don't think they even know what these things mean. A, a culture basically comes from the idea of cult, which, you know, that's a bad thing. Don't go join one. Uh, a cult is a core belief or idea that unifies a group of people. And so a culture has this idea of you have basic core values that align you with a larger group of people. So if you have a favorite sports team, you are part of that culture, whether it be a Yankee culture, Boston culture, you know, whatever. That, it's a smaller group, but that's the idea. All right. And when they talk about a culture war, they're saying the foundational understanding of what America used to be is under attack, and they want to take away your history, they want to take your understanding, they want to corrupt your understanding of the forefathers, of old documents that we have written down for our protection and for our stability. That's what they're under attack. But let me tell you this, this book has been under attack a whole lot longer, and it still stands. You know, Nations rise and fall. Kingdoms rise and fall. Empires rise and fall. God's word is established forever. It is established in heaven, and even the Marines can't break through there. How many of you retire Marines? Anyone in here retire me? Okay, good. I didn't offend anyone too badly then. You know, his word is, is settled, and they've been attacking this word. And, and to understand this, you, you can look out in the culture and you find that these, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians have absolutely no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And do not follow them because they are blind leading the blind. There are people out there who, who, say they're, they're, who say there's things like they're pro-life and yet they're gonna vote for abortion. If God made you, if God cares so much about his creation, you can take it to the bank. He cares about children. He said, if your eye causes you to offend, pluck it out. If your hand or your foot causes you to offend or lead you into temptation, you cut it off. But if you offend one of these little ones that believe in me, yeah, he's gonna put a millstone around your neck and cast you into the sea. How many of you think that's so much far more severe than just slight amputation? That's yellow journalism. I use slight there. You know, I like, it's a big thing to go after children with God. It is. It is. Proverbs chapter 23, um, the Solomon tells his son, he says, Look, do not remove the old landmarks, lest you go into the field of the fatherless. But their Redeemer is mighty, and he will argue their cause with thee. You say, well, what are those ancient landmarks? What are those old landmarks? Ask your pastor. I don't have time to deal with that right now. But they go into the field of the fathers. They they take away the tradition, the understanding of the family. Take away the, the understanding of how God structured things. And they go into this area where now you have all these children that are fatherless. And how they treat them. And how they use and abuse them. And God says, I am going to bring judgment down on you for doing such things. And you say, well, it could be metaphorically, well, those that are not written in the Lamb's book of life are one day gonna be taken and cast into the sea of fire and brimstone. And they're gonna literally be drowned in that for all eternity. I mean, you wanna look at people who 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 hate God and hate God's word, they're gonna go after the children. They'll always do this. And and it, it's just it's just Horrible what things they can do. I mean, you have, I'm not even going to get into it. I will say this, though. John Piper, he's a Calvinist. I don't follow him. But just so you understand some of the things that these people say, John Calvin says, uh, sorry, John Piper, he says, it's baffling to think that abortion kills more people than a culture-saturating pro-self pride. Now, understand what he's saying is, I'm not voting for Trump because he's arrogant. So it's okay to go for abortion then. You know, don't follow people like this. They're leading people down the wrong path, and they're gonna eventually lead people to hell. If he, I don't think he's saved because he is Calvinist. He believes that his he, he and his whole family are children of promise. You know, he's he's the kind of guy that believes that, you know, because he's of the elect, his children are of the elect, their children will be of the elect. And so if someone breaks into his house, he's not going to hurt them because he knows where his kids are going to go. How many of you are glad John Piper's not your father? I wouldn't want him protecting me. He doesn't care. He thinks that God deals with nations. That's what the old Calvinists believed. I of this guy, his name was uh, Scott. Um, I want to say Scott Seisendorf, uh he put together a group uh, called Case for Life and, and talks a lot, about, a lot about different things. He uses a SLED acro- uh, acrostic acronym uh, talking about the value of a life. You know, S is for size. Size does not determine your value. You know, just because it's, it's in the womb and not outside the womb, you know, the, the size difference doesn't matter. You know, men are generally bigger than women or men more important. You know, there's, you already have small children and large children. Are the lar- do the larger children have more rights? Do they have more value? No. The L, their level of development, you know, obviously, again, you can use that for children, level of development. Some people have mental illnesses and, and restrictions on their, on their mind that keep them back, mental retardation. Are they of no value? Are they of no worth? You have um, E, the environment in which they are found. You know, if if rolling over in bed does not change your value, how can being born change the value? Does that make sense? And then obviously uh, the other D is um, degree of dependency. And I want you to understand where this all goes. I mean, right now they do talk about abortion, but in places like Europe, And talking more and more and more about it, even here in America, they're gonna go after the sick. They're gonna go after the elderly. Anyone who is of any degree of dependency can be eliminated. Canada already has things like this in place. In Canada, if you can be a resident or a citizen of another country, you've lost all your Canadian rights. Or they can take them away from you because you're a secondhand citizen then. And already they're talking things like in Europe, people who are on Ritalin, people on, on diabetes medicines, all these things, you're draining our system. We need to be able to get rid of you. And that laws can be passed so that we can segregate you and get rid of you and cut you out of our culture because we don't want you anymore. Do you think that's wicked? Can we agree that that's wicked? Can we agree that life is precious and given by God and that those that take it should be judged by God? God established government to protect life, and yet it's now the government that's taking life. I'm not preaching on politics. I'm just saying there are wicked people in this world. Don't let them shake you up, though, from your faith. Don't follow them with your faith. Don't interpret your understanding of this book through their politics, because this will stand forever and they will answer to this book, not this book answer to them. It doesn't work that way. Continuing on, verse 74. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. Hey, you know what's great? Coming to the house of God and just being around brothers and sisters in Christ that, that's wonderful. You, I mean, In Bible college, when you can go to, around people that trust in God, want to serve God with their life, that's a blessing. You see, we belong together. We are a family here together. We are supposed to work and love and cherish one another and, and to use our bond and unity to move forward in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the community in which we are in. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, some people say, oh, everyone will live according to their tribe, right? You're my tribe. You're my gang, my crew, my peeps. We're homies. We're family. That's what we're supposed to do. You know why they have gangs, right? Because the person searching for a family doesn't have one. And so he joins himself to a group of people he feels will be accepted to him. You know why you have all these teen pregnancies? A lot of these women, they're looking for someone who accepts them and will love them. And they give over their bodies to men because they think, oh, if they just do this, then I'll be accepted and loved. And it destroys their life. We don't need to follow that. We have the answer. We are a loving family that needs to come together. And you know what else is great? We don't have to come in here and, when the elections go bad, say, okay, who's got the guns? It's time for a revolution. Because I just love to go kill things. That's cool. Again, those that love war have never been in it. We're not supposed to cause a revolution. If a revolution happens, you'll know it. Don't start one. Preach the love of Christ in a community that only knows hate. They may hate you. They may throw you in jail. That's fine. They can't harm you in heaven. They can't touch you there. The sad thing is those that do harm you here on this earth, if they don't get saved, you'll be standing behind Christ as you watch him judge them. It'll be a whole other idea when you look at those that persecute you. Say, right now you're persecuting me. You think you have the authority. You think you have the power to do all this sort of thing. And yet I know that in the future I'm going to be behind Christ and you're going to be bowing down to him and he's going to cast you far away. And we don't really want that. We want them to come and trust Christ and to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to have. Our presence should not be one that brings fear and anxiety. You know, it's not like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We have to hide. We have to have the underground church movement, right? Got to start doing an underground church railroad, Um, we should be joyful and hopeful. Um, You know, we don't, again, God is on his throne. We don't have to fear anyone else. Don't be fearful of what President Harris does. Don't be afraid of Pina Maria, Santa Maria Cortez and what she does. Don't be afraid of these politicians that, that say things that are crazy. Don't be afraid of them. You can stand up to them, in truth, but don't fear them. Share with them the gospel. You want to watch them writhe around like a possessed person on the floor, just tell them that God loves them. They can't stand it. The Bible says to keep not company with an angry man. See, we're not, we're not supposed to be the angry people. We're supposed to be the ones that you come to for comfort, If a person can't come to church and and be comforted, where are they going to go? Where can you go to be comforted? There's nowhere out there in the darkness where everything's upheavaled. They don't have the answers. They have a lot of questions. This book has the answers. Corman said this. He says, I am winsome to those that fear God, and therefore I am repulsive to those that hate him. If we have a hope in God's word, we should not be despair. We should not be fearful. Okay? Verse five, he says, I know, O Lord, 75 rather, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Now, how many of you, honestly, at times you felt afflicted of God? You felt like there were just tough times you had to go through. Israel had this. Israel had this in spades. Most of the time because they rejected God. Right? Right? And yet God would allow other countries to come in and to judge Israel. Did, were there still faithful people in Israel during those judgments? Did they have to endure the judgment of God upon, those, upon Israel and upon Judah? We don't want to do that, do we? See, we, we think that, you know, we want to take Lot's position, you know. God, you can't judge America. I'm here. Wait till I go to Africa. No, I'm just teasing. But that's how we feel, isn't it? Honestly. But yet, even in Elijah's day, Elijah thought, I'm the only one. And God says, no, I've got another 4,000 in Judah that are under Jezebel's terrible reign. You know, and, and you look at, Uh, all throughout the Babylonian captivity, the Assyrian captivity. And the the captivity really didn't lessen in any degree until Persia came in. And when Persia came in, God always had a man right next to the king. Almost always. He foretold of Cyrus's coming. Cyrus came in. He was given a scripture that foretold that he was gonna rule and to reign. And he honored that, and he said, Okay, now you can go and build the temple. And, you know, Daniel served under Darius, and Darius became king after um, Cyrus's two sons, who were really bad leaders, they died relatively quickly after their father. Darius, who had married Cyrus's daughter, became king of Persia, and follows that with Daniel. And under Darius, you have the temple fully rebuilt. And then after he he passes on, you have Xerxes. And Xerxes goes and replaces Vashti with Esther. Because he loves Esther. Also because he destroyed the Greeks and the Spartans at Thermopylae. But he comes back and, and God has Esther's story right there. And then Artaxerxes comes in after him. And you have Nehemiah being his cupbearer. And all throughout the Persian Empire, up until all of Israel can return back to the land, God took care of them, right? But they still went through that period of judgment. Now, how many of you think a socialistic administration would be an affliction? I would think it'd be an affliction to us, would it not? And we talked about abortion. You know, pride it, pride does go before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But when you want to kill children, that is just a solid reproach against your society. You know, Trump's arrogance has no effect on me. But when you start wanting to come and kill our children, now I've got a problem with you. You know, so this is gonna be an affliction. But God is faithful. He'll see you through it. Remember, because he hath already appointed the times and bounds of our habitation, he will see you through. You just have to put faith and trust in him. Rely on him for your strength in the situation. You know, our life, what is it? Job says in Job chapter 14, verse one, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Do you think Job had some trouble? I love talking about Job with those that believe in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. because They can't wrap their heads around why would a guy that loves God and fears God have to go through so much. If you ever, if you ever get scared during this whole administration, just read Habakkuk. Just read Habakkuk. Yeah, it's one of those small little books we almost never touch on. Habakkuk, he, he's a songwriter. He wants to honor and serve God, but he's right before the judgments come in and God says, I'm gonna bring in the Assyrians to judge Israel. And he says, but the Assyrians are worse than we are. I know, God says. And I'm gonna judge the Assyrians. I'm gonna bring the Babylonians in and conquer the Syrians, But the Babylonians are even worse. I know. And I'm gonna judge the Babylonians and I'm gonna bring the Persians in. And Habakkuk's just pulling his hair out God says, I'm the one in control. You're not. Remember, we're created beings. We don't don't fly the plane. We don't. We can rest in that what God has done will take care of us. Um, 70, verse 76 and 77. Let I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant let thy tender mercies come unto me that i may live for thy law is my delight now all throughout here psalms 119 he talks about the law of the lord i meditate on his law meditate on his precepts i want to know your statutes they're my they're my comfort how many of you honestly you you find comfort in going through like the 10 commandments right cuz these are never the verses you see quilted on a pillow right you know I delight in thy law, quilted on a pillow, you know. That doesn't sell, right? But David, knowing God's heart, knowing God's faithfulness, when you understand his love, when you read his commandments, his love will come through with them. When he says, don't tell a lie, he's protecting your character. He wants you to be, like him that tells the truth and sticks with the truth and gives a vow and keeps it. You're saying, God, you want me to be more like you in this area of my life? Yes. Not just, oh, here's a fence so you can't cross it. You know, another man said, all these people that like to jump over God's fences and they're falling down the cliff and for a few brief moments, they feel like they're flying, but the ground's coming. Right? That's how it is. You see these people say, oh, I don't like God's rules. I don't like these laws. I think think God's too legalistic. And so they remove the laws. They remove the old landmarks. They jump over and say, I'm free. For a few brief moments of their life. Sometimes the last few brief moments of their life. They're there to keep you protected because he loves you. They're there to be a comfort for you. Not to, not to scare you. Uh, notice that he also says that is his merciful kindness. And then in verse 77, thy tender mercies. That merciful kindness is just, it's just the basic mercy that we, res- we have as sinful creatures. Just that mercy. His tender mercies is that more of the love of a mother towards a child. Because how many of you would, when you get a splinter, you go to dad first? Right? You're sitting there like, can you tell which finger my dad took the splinter out of? <laughs> He's pulling out the buoy knife, running it in the fire. It's oh, gonna be great, son. We're just going to get in there and take that splinter right out. <laughs> right? I love my dad. He was great. But, but suffice that to say is, these laws, these precepts, they're the things that are just supposed to comfort us, not the things we're supposed to run away from. So, I have some other notes here I don't really think I'm going to have time to go for. Verse 79. Let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. One of the greatest blessings we get to have as believers is we get to share the stories of what God has done in our lives. You see, we focus so much on our own needs, our own suffering, our own desires and wants, and we feel like God has to listen to us every day of every moment and make everything work out best for me, you know, because what Nellie Olson said, God loves me more than, or Jesus loves me more than most. is like, no, that's not how this works. Other people have gone through struggles, have gone through trials, have gone through tribulations. And oftentimes the reason that we go through these struggles is so that we can be an encouragement to the other people around us you know god can bring you into a pro, a place where you're like lord this this can only end badly for me and maybe you like i said earlier maybe it alters your life permanently but then you can turn around and use that to give hope to someone who's about to go into that you know I talked about Jesus Christ a little while ago. You know, he was touched with our infirmities. You know, he hungered. He thirsted. You know, he was tired. He went through all the physical things that we go through as human beings. And not only that, he went through a whole array of of emotional things. He was betrayed. He was misunderstood. He was rejected to his face. People spit in his face. They plucked out his beard. They mocked him. And it's at those points you realize you're not God because if you were and you were in that position, there'd be a whole lot more pillars of salt, right? But he endured all of it. Why? So that when you're going through your struggles, you can go to him and he's already been there. He's not this far off God that is no relation to you. He knows what it's like when your family members reject you, leave you, abandon you. He knows what it's like to be left for three days in town and your family has no idea where they left you. Or even that they did leave you, right? Right? He knows what it's like to have a friend for three and a half years stab you in the back, betray you to die. There's no pain that we can experience, can't go back to God and say, God, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. Because he does. You know, if those of you who have cancer, it's one thing to have a doctor, and oncologist to treat your cancer. It's another thing to have a doctor that has cancer himself and to go through the scares and to deal with the family issues and to have all the questions run through his own head. And so while we are not Christ, we don't know the end from the beginning like he does. When we go through those troubles and those trials and he brings us out the other end, we're like, oh Thank you, Lord. I never want to talk about that again. No, it's probably because he wants you to talk about it, to share your burden, to share your heartache. You know, we we've, we've tried for seven years before having Bell. And to go through that whole experience, to have to surrender your will to even have a child. And then God opens up the door and we can have a child. But that's given my wife lots of opportunities to talk to women who go through that same fear or that same struggle. You know, it's, it opens up avenues of ministry for you, not even just in the church, but in the community around which you live. So, yeah, things can be tough and things can be hard, but you know what? You have a hope and a faith in this word and in God that you can share with other people, and especially those of the house of God, right? Especially here. We ought to be encouraging one another with our testimonies. We ought to be encouraging and lifting one another up. Instead of sitting there and saying, all right, where's Tim Neal? Is he getting the guns for the revolution? I'm sorry, are we recording this? Tim Neal, I'm sorry, you're on a bunch of lists right now. Well, that shouldn't be us. Should it? Now, we, sh- we are on a list because we're Bible-believing Bible-preaching people of the word. But we're not on a list because we're a dangerous threat to other people. We're a threat to, we should be a threat to Satan's kingdom. That's a whole nother topic. But I just want to encourage you. I want to be the person, like the psalmist says, when I come, I want to be the encouragement. Now, there are times I've gone to encourage people, and they've had such a great spirit that I leave encouraged. And I'm sure you've all known people like that. People are great. There's a man I I got to know a little bit named uh, Bob Grimm. His name was Grimm. He He had a disease. They called it the suicide disease because it has just sharp pains running through his face all the time. That it it can stop you from sleeping, cause insomnia and other uh, conditions. You can't just take pain medicine, it doesn't work. So he lived with this pain all the time. But yet he would be one of the greatest encouragers in his church. Why? You know, if anyone could complain, but he didn't. He was an encourager. You know what he did? He brightened the corner where he was. If you're feeling down, go see Bob Grimm. And he'll, now he's in heaven now, but his testimony was one of encouragement, even though it could have been one of, oh man, this guy just did nothing but suffer. Instead it was, man, this guy did nothing but encourage people. Wouldn't that be a great testimony for us? Wouldn't that be great if the, if the community saw Harvest Baptist Church and said, you know what? I don't think they have an armory, but man, they sure are a blessing. They're an encouragement to me. That should be what we are known for. That's what they should really fear us about, that they can't discourage us. They can try all they want, but they're like, we're like that woman in the plane just smiling away. I can't fly this plane, but I know who does. Do you know who flies the plane? Do you know who's in control? We say God's on his throne, but do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you walk and talk with him daily? He wants that of you. He'll see you through this time. Even if this is the fall of America, whatever that may look like, you know. You don't have to be afraid. Don't be fearful. Trust in him. Have hope. He's put you here. He'll see you through it. Your, your retirement is safe in heaven. All right? Don't let the world take your don't let the world take your joy from you. Don't let them steal that. They didn't give it to you in the first place. They shouldn't be able to take it. All right? Dear Father, we do thank you so much. You gave us your word on the situation. And even when we are afflicted, Lord, or we feel like we're being afflicted, we know that you are faithful. And certain situations, Lord, I feel like, why would you do this to me? Or why are you allowing these things to happen? It's not because you're not on the throne, but it's also not because I deserve any better. I have nothing... Nothing to claim at your hand. The only thing I claim is Christ's righteousness. There's nothing of merit that I can offer you for another day of peace and comfort. There's nothing I can offer you. But I give you my tomorrows. They are already in your hand. That you may use them as you see fit. And the situations of life, you take me through them all that we may honor and glorify you no matter what happens. Lord, now I'm, I'm thinking about this. One of the illustrations that, will, that can be used in the near future, you think of Christmas trees when they're, when they're put out. Christmas trees aren't beautiful without the light. But to think about that tree cut down out of the woods, brought into a place it's not familiar with, strangled with cords and strangled with garland and all of its branches just weighted down with those weights on hooks. And if I was that tree, I'd think, what in the world is going on? Being tortured. They're not even giving me any water. It's not until the light is turned on that the full effect takes place. And the purpose of all the ornaments, the purpose of the garland, the purpose of of even the tree being there is all to facilitate the light being scattered and shown forth. And like that tree, all of our situations of life, all the things that weigh down on our shoulders, we say, Lord, why are these burdens here? so that you can shine your light through our life and it may scatter into the community around us. Lord, it's not us. We're not the light. You are the light. We need to be bearers of that light. And so, Lord, no matter what the situation may be, may we be cheerful and joyful and be a people of faith, of hope and encouragement, knowing that we are your creation. We are in your care. So then we have put our faith and trust not just in our being, but also in our well-being in you. Lord, may you use us for your honor and your glory. Use us for your purposes to be done here in New England. Some of us from other areas around the, uh, the states or around the world. As we go, wherever you have sent us, may we be used of you that we would bring in a bountiful harvest of souls, preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, seeing people won, seeing people trained, seeing people used in the ministries around us so that one day we can take our crowns and cast them at your feet, that we can honor you and praise you and sing songs with full joy in our hearts. And as your light shines out, we reflect that light back to you and all the glory and all the, honor, and all the splendor is cast back at you, for you alone are worthy. You are worthy to open the books and to judge the world, and you are worthy to sit upon the throne for all eternity. You have been given the world as a footstool, and your God has blessed you, and the Spirit moves with your will, and Lord, may you use it for your honor and glory. We ask these things in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming tonight. I hope it's been an encouragement.